0: by two married to each other ladies where we break down all things queer and unqueer in each episode of The Wilds. My name is Rachel and as always I'm joined by my wife and the love of my life, Allie. Hi everyone. Allie, what episode are we talking about today? Today we're talking about episode
1: 9 which covers day 22 on the island and is Martha's episode as always we'll start off with a spoiler language and content warning so spoiler wise i mean we're really running out of them this is episode nine there's only one more episode to go so we won't spoil anything in episode 10 uh but this is probably the last the last little spoiler warning you're gonna get for me language wise we swear we explicitly swear and sorry not sorry that's just the way it is And then uh, finally, wow, you're very carefree today, (laughs) Ali. And then finally around uh, content, The Wilds in general deals with mature subject matter. So there's always the risk that we're talking about things like that. But just as a flag for this episode in particular, there are discussions around sexual abuse. And there's also going to be a lot of conversations around mental health.
0: So something to note just before we get into it. This episode is day 22, so it's six days from where we left them in episode 8, and in episode 8, if you recall, they eat all of their food because they're anticipating rescue, compliments of the plane that flew by in episode 7. This episode opens up, though, with Dean watching the girls in their rooms, and you see him flip through a number of the girls, I think Leah, Tony, and Shelby. Gretchen comes in and catches him kind of watching the girls, and she makes a couple of uncomfortable jokes or references. You know, she says, for example, it's not voyeurism if it's research. She gives him a box, and she says that that was supposed to be her afternoon, but she's going to give it to him to take a peek at. And the objective is that hopefully he can go through and find a way out of this one.
1: Him sort of like flipping through and watching them all sleeping slash hanging in their rooms is... Very creepy, I'm not going to say it's not creepy, but what is creepier is the moment when Leah turns and looks directly into the camera. And it's this reoccurring thing that we see with her all the time. This isn't the first time and it won't be the last time that we see her kind of break that fourth wall and look at a camera. Obviously this is a little bit less of breaking a fourth wall because it's happening within the context of the show. She's not looking at an actual production camera. But it still has that feeling to it. It has that feeling of her having this bigger bird's eye view of what's going on, and, and knowing that someone's looking at her in a way. And so, yeah, it is creepy what he's doing. It's also creepy. Leah's just creepy this episode, though.
0: Well, and it's interesting just to see like Leah turning towards the camera, and one of Sarah Pigeon's many excellent facial expression moments this episode. But in contrast, Tony has made her own basketball net, that. And she's like playing hoops in her own room. So it's just interesting how all the girls are. And we haven't necessarily seen them... In the same time frame before and so seeing them we all kind of know it's live footage and so being able to flip between how at least those three girls what they're doing how they're taking everything if it's in stride or not it's just an interesting comparison
1: well it's something we've talked about before is that leah poses sort of the most danger to herself when she doesn't have a purpose doesn't have a job so while tony's going and making something is like making a basketball hoop to play with Leah on the other hand is just thinking and like those are the moments where she poses the most risk when she's just turning things over and over and over in her head and analyzing them and re-going over them and so honestly for her like leaving her in that room with very little stimulation is not a great plan for her mental wellness. Bad on you Gretchen. Leah is someone who needs human connection and so this is not a good place for her to be.
0: Something else I want to talk about is we hear a reference to Dean's backstory, which we haven't heard yet.
1: The way that Gretchen characterizes Dean makes you wonder why specifically he was chosen. Because she does kind of make it sound like she picked him up from a rock bottom. And so what is the intentionality behind bringing him in as a person? She's so hard on him in that moment. And she really takes all of that empathy and care that he has... And just diminishes it, but also like knocks him down and like away from any sense that he's equal, right? She really kind of like talks down to him. She shows that for her, there's no value in dissension. Like she doesn't like that he's speaking out. She's like, you need to trust this. Otherwise, there's no reason for you to be here.
0: My theory about him is that I think that he does have some sort of law enforcement background.
1: He feels like law enforcement.
0: And I think that's what it is. And even when he was talking to Dan a couple of episodes ago about wearing the G-man suit, it just felt like that was very much a role that he felt comfortable in, and that he was able to communicate that with Dan, how it's not always that easy, with like a very deep sense of knowing And I also think Gretchen would want things to feel as authentic as possible, and so my guess is that part of making it feel authentic is having somebody who's had that experience. So on the top of the box, we see Nora's journal, and it's a bit interesting because Nora serves as a bit of a narrator for this episode, even though it's Martha's episode. And we see Dean using the journal throughout the episode. And there's two places later on that come up. So one is a big spread about Martha the Pure. And another is an image of Leah drowning with some text on the side as well.
1: Yeah, and we'll kind of go through and talk about those pictures um closer to the scenes that they match up with and so there's a couple of things about the box that i just want to pick up on number one the box says january 10th on it on the top of it now everything that we've been sort of led to believe up until this point is that this is a summer trip the girls went on that they were doing this over the summer we've also heard timelines mentioned a couple times like the whole experiment is only supposed to be three months and there's a lot of pieces like that and so honestly it leaves some holes because why would the box be labeled january 10th hold a bunch of these items from the island if the girls aren't there extensively longer than we thought they were going to be or extensively longer than it seems like gretchen wanted them to be there so i think that that's a really interesting piece there's also a little bit uh, one of journal entries is labeled in june as we're flipping through the book so We're starting to pull together those timeline pieces, but I still have that overwhelming feeling from Fatten's episode where I don't really know where things fit. And I feel like there are so many forces that are like fucking with the timeline for us. Point number two I wanted to pull out is Martha's frog cape and her slippers are in the box and they're very clean. Like they look like they have been washed before they were put away. Not like they were being put away as evidence or... know description of something that had happened like they've, they've very clearly been washed or they've been or they're a plant they're a replication of what was existing there and then if they are a replication then it means that this box was created in a specific way to manipulate which i think is really interesting but i just um yeah they're definitely not martha drinking vodka laying on the beach level of dirty so moving over to the beach we see the girls they're all sitting very listless And there's a Nora voiceover going over. She shares with us that it's been six days since the plane went over and they've had two days without food since then. So obviously at this point in time, they're running very low on energy and are questioning whether they're actually going to be saved, which is something that's really been driving them along. We see Leah, she's spiraling a bit. She's questioning whether this is once again an overall conspiracy, if the pilot was in on it. And we see Martha and Shelby both try to calm her down and to help her kind of like recentered, rebalance, and also to reaffirm that faith that someone is coming.
0: In Nora's voiceover, she talks about how this has been a really interesting six day period, and it helps some people find out who they are. So we actually see Shelby pre vodka breakdown a little bit. You know, when Dot is beating herself up over that she let the girls eat all their food, Shelby says. Don't talk about my friend like that. And the way that she also comforts Leah goes back to that train wrecks unite thing that happened with her and Leah on the beach. But now it's Shelby providing that support. So at least it's nice to see a pre-vodka breakdown Shelby again.
1: Yeah, Shelby is very much me in a crisis situation. I will be like, I'll be spiraling and really freaking out. But the second that someone else starts to spiral, I really center down. And I really like calm down when other people are spiraling. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like... I guess like, I'm a little bit like Leah in that too. I'm like, now I have a job, I have a role. I just have to like keep everything together. So I really identified with that. I think too, in this section, we start to kind of like see the threads of what is going to be sort of these overall pieces that arc over this whole episode. So number one is the concept of home. That's something that we're gonna come back to several times throughout this episode. And the other one is sort of the concept of how you see the world and, and see the things around you. And so in particular in this section, Nora's voiceover says you know I want to see the world how Martha does I think we all do and this is something that we really are going to pick apart and break apart this episode because there are both strengths but there are also flaws to the way that Martha is kind of projecting and seeing the world and I think the girls see that too because there's Nora says another thing where she mentions that you know Martha has so much blind faith. And so there's just this, there's all these layers of like, what is seen, what is not seen? What are we choosing to look at? What are we choosing not to look at that exist in particular in Martha's story? And I think they, they work really nicely too with some of the things that we also see going on the beach. During this time, we also see Tony and Martha kind of hatch a plan to go and do some foraging in the woods. They have a cute story about how they had this sort of kooky teacher who talked about eating backyard weeds. And so they decide to go on a food run. And Tony asks Martha if Shelby can be invited along. Number one, I have been yelling about plants for weeks now. They are in <laughs> such like, <laughs> they're in such like survival mode that like they, they can never really see or think past what their next meal is. Like they, they have no like long-term sight, long-term vision. And part of that is that their exit ramp is always rescue. And so they're always just waiting on rescue. They're not thinking long term, but it's absolutely been driving me crazy because even like when Martha found the goat, I was like, just watch what the goat eats. Like that's something that you usually do with like horses. Like if you're ever, if anyone's ever lost with horses in the woods or whatever, like you can usually eat what your horse eats. And so like they'll avoid a lot of poisonous things. So I'm like, find what like the other creatures are eating and eat those things But they just, this isn't the first time we've seen them be hungry like this, where it seems like they've waited until the last minute to actually go and find the food. At this point, they haven't had food for two days. And now we're thinking about alternative food sources. One of their foraging options was just to go to the berry bush. I'm like, now we're going to the berry bush. Anyway, sorry, clearly I have feelings about it. Yeah, that.
0: tell me more, Allie.
1: It's like my feelings about how they continually stay on the beach. Even I feel I feel upset about that this episode because... <laughs> there's this Are moment, you okay? I don't know. There's this moment on the beach and you can see sort of like heat waves going. And <laughs> I'm just like, holy fuck. It's so hot there. Like you all look thirsty. You haven't eaten for two days. Why are you sitting in the blazing sun? Just like some of the stuff they do makes no sense and I'm very upset about it and I'm so sorry.
0: Yeah, well yeah, I guess it it does take up more energy probably to try to to attempt to cool your body down by sweating and the raging hot sun than it would be if they, you know, just camped out by the waterfall for a couple of days, right?
1: If you go by the water source, animals will come to drink. Or if, like, things will grow by there. There'll be, like, a better source of, like, berry bushes. And I just have some feeling.
0: And you know what? I'm gonna join you with that. Because Shelby, allegedly, as we find out later, is a part of the hunting community. Which you would think, I know this, not part of the hunting community. But anytime I see a babbling brook, I'm looking for wildlife. And so it makes sense that Shelby should know that from her stint in the hunting community.
1: Yeah, they just have no... They're just always in this state of crisis and always in the state of survival and they just have no foresight and it just drives me crazy as much as this is martha's episode in a lot of ways like tony is like a very strong supporting character in this episode tony is woven and built into almost all of the scenes that we see of martha both on the island and in her backstory and i think it's interesting because we don't actually see martha that much in tony's backstory like tony's really focused on regan but Tony's always there and like is there in like very in a very sort of like soft, supportive, gentle way. For me, it was really helpful because we haven't gotten to see a lot of like Tony and Martha's relationship like this. There's been so much conflict for them on the island. They've been kind of like in and then they're out. And like even when they're in, they're just sort of like cuddling or small conversations. But through Martha's backstory, we really got to see what their friendship actually looks like, the ways that Tony supports and pushes and encourages Martha in a a really powerful way and really like pull out, you know, what does that sister relationship look for them? Like, how are they close like that? Like, how do they both open up to each other but also remain close to each other as their own individual people? So, I mean, it brought up a lot of questions for me around, you know, who is Martha without Tony? And I think like that's something that we kind of start to unpack but don't fully unpack this episode and so i'm interested to see where it goes in the future
0: well it's just interesting just to your point ali we don't actually see martha alone in her episode with the exception of the last scene and so i think that's interesting just thinking about a lot of the comments around martha this episode we see about how she sees the world and how she creates her own reality to protect herself from like the harm. And I think that's part of how she surrounds herself with people too, so that she's not alone either, so that she doesn't kind of go to that dark place. So I also just wanted to pick that out of your conversation. All right, so let's get into Martha's backstory. Of course, as we always touch on, the music is very Martha. So we hear Starships by Nicki Minaj playing and we see a younger version of Martha jumping on the trampoline, we're introduced to I don't know, maybe Deserted Island Partner of the Week if she was one of the girls, Bernice. Love of my life, aside from Allie, of course. And Martha's jumping on the trampoline, having a nice time with her mom, but it's short-lived because, again, with the gruesome injury sounds, we see her jump and get injured.
1: And so thinking a little bit about the music of this episode, there's a field note that says there's a lot of references to 2012 throughout this episode. And so if you're paying attention when they're kind of doing some of the news coverage around the things that happened with Dr. Ted, Martha was under his care in 2012. And so I think it speaks to this larger narrative of how she's been caught or stuck in some ways and like that mentality that she had when she was abused. All the music that we hear is really rooted and centered in that era, in that time. And it just speaks to, you know, when things like this happen, you can get stuck in that person that you were at that time and that and that viewpoint that you had of the world and that you know joyous little martha with her sparkly sneakers jumping on the trampoline and how hard it can be to kind of like process and move and grow past that and it's something we're going to dig into more as we kind of go through is the ways that you know martha still can't comes to terms with those trauma and the way that she's really caught as that little girl from when that happened to her the other thing that i just want to pull out from this scene is the number of sickening falls that we see throughout the show is really interesting and it's horrific in a way, but there is something there, right? So this is the third one that we've seen. The first one was obviously Rachel when she hits her head. The second is Jeanette when she hits her body, when she falls into the water. And now this is the third time. And so to me, when we think about falls, we think about the way that they're startling. We think about the ways that, They're unexpected. They often in all of these situations happen when people are doing things that are fairly normal. Lynn's is a little bit differently, but I mean, she was just walking on the dock and it's that startling change of perspective, of reality, and sort of like the consequences of what happens when these moments occur. And I think too, when we're thinking about falls, there are two kinds of falls, right? There's these very physical manifestations that we're seeing, but there's also metaphoric falls. And so you think about you know where shelby was when everything happened with her and that sort of like metaphorical fall from grace that she had with her family similar with fat and she also went through that there are layers and nuances to what a fall can look like depending on which character we're focusing on but for most of them there is some sort of fall that's built into their story
0: and not to be cheeky but this whole experiment is about society falling from patriarchy
1: well and there's also the connection of adam and eve and their fall from grace
0: so this is one of these shit moments because as a result of her fall she gets put in a shit situation with this like shit physical therapist who like seemingly is actually a pretty decent physical therapist in terms of the ways that he talks to martha and the way that he tries to identify with her and the way that he uses jingle dress dancing as an inspiration but it's just shit Period. As
1: a very specific joke that I feel like was just woven in there for all the native people was when he asks if softball was her sport, because like, it's such like a fucking big thing in community, right? So he's kind of like fly fishing. It's like, yeah, depending on where you are. But like, yo, we really love baseball softball in particular just thinking about this from like an indigenous perspective the fact that martha is a jingle dress dancer is really important jingle is a healing dance it's it's actually one of our newer dances it's not that new i'm not going to be like it was made in the 80s but it's one of the newer dances and it actually originated out of ontario um, but it's an anishinaabe specific dance that has been adopted um, and and shared out amongst other nations and amongst other cultures. So you'll see it, you'll see more than just Nishinabe people who who do it. Something that's interesting here and a little bit of a fun layer is like the story behind jingle dress dancing is that it it came to someone in a dream. And because of that they dreamt up the jingle dress. And because they dreamt the jingle dress then they made they they made the jingle dress and it healed the granddaughter in the story who was sick. And I think that's interesting with the fact that we've seen martha have a dream before and so there's lots of like teachings that go into jingle dress Dancing. you're not actually supposed to dance it unless you've dreamt that you danced it and then that's when you go and you offer your tobacco and you ask for someone to teach you and you make your dress and all of those pieces and so the connection that is there between like martha and dreaming too but i think it's also that healing aspect and how this dance is supposed to heal people it's supposed to heal community it's supposed to heal yourself There's supposed there's all of these layers of healing that's really embedded and built into when you when you jingle dance and i think for martha in particular that's so important because she is she does have that sort of like bigger outside she's trying to fix the people around her and the things around her but she hasn't really taken that piece to look at how she's healing herself internally
0: And so we hear Dr. Ted say a quote, which moves the storyline along as well. And he says, we're going to heal you up. You and I from now on are a jingle dressing team. And whenever you dance, you're gonna remember our time together and know you're capable of anything. And we flash forward to seeing her younger self watching folks jingle dress dancing. And then she gets up and starts dancing. And that's when it moves into the scene where it's revealed that she's training and competing for the first time in the women's jingle dress at the powwow this year.
1: And the transition in the scene is so beautiful because you see her as a preteen kind of get up. The assumption being it's sort of right after she was able to dance again and you see her start to dance coming in and then she's overtaken by another person who turns out to be, you know, actual teen Martha. Anyways, I just thought it was like very like focused on the feet too. is very beautiful.
0: And hi, Tony, who walks in with your basketball to watch Martha Jingle Dress dance. We see a nice scene, and this is actually, I think, probably my favorite Tony and Martha scene of all the scenes, because we just hear them bicker and banter and support each other. Tony talks about how she didn't know that she was dancing in the women's jingle dress this year, and Martha has a huge burp and talks about how when she dances, she burps, and Tony jokes that they could hear the burp in Canada, which, hello, we're Canadian, thank you for the reference. And this is kind of cut short because we see Bernice walk in.
1: Tony is uh, so sweet here. Yeah, it's really connected with how Martha sees Tony. She's very kind. She's, like, listening. She's She doesn't have that sort of, you know, angry kind of, like, energy that we often that see. That aggro energy. Yeah, that aggro energy that we see really, like, embedded in almost her entire episode. She's just so chill and just, like, happy to be with Martha. Just happy to, like, just be hanging there. And I think it's... Uh, just nice to see that normal everyday version of Tony where everything isn't you know embedded and layered with all this trauma and it's so funny because Martha is so cool in Tony's episode and it's not that she's not cool in this episode but she's way more normal
0: right so we see Bernice walk in and something that's interesting I just wanted to point out is that Tony calls her Miss Blackburn in it. And so if we're thinking about timing, my assessment is that she's not living with Martha at the time of this interaction, but later on when we see Tony in Martha's bedroom, she is, and you can see the switch in her and- She calls her Bernice. Exactly. So you can see that switch in the relationship later. So I just wanted to point that out. But essentially, Bernice walks in and says that she needs a private place to talk to Martha. And then it pans over to Martha sitting with her mom and dad in the district's attorney office- talking about how dr ted has been accused of sexual abuse
1: yeah and she's in such denial over it and like part of this is a coping mechanism for her right she can't admit it because admitting it would make it real and so you can kind of see this panic all over her face over this and she's you know lashing out against you know, the other girls who have said this happened to me, the other girls who have kind of like spoken up saying, well, they just didn't try hard enough. They just didn't do all of these things. And she's sort of attacking them because she's like, well, it didn't happen to me. It didn't happen to me. She just can't come to terms with it. I can't help but draw parallels to Lynn. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about what it would have been like if Lynn had been on the island. But I think that's sort of like, push and pull tension with them of Lynn as being someone who spoke out and no one believed her and like Martha as being, you know, someone who is a survivor, but is also like not believing other people would have been like, I feel like Gretchen planned that. It would have been like very complex to kind of like work through and unpack, I think for both of them, if they ever sort of got into talking about it. But um, yeah, she's just, uh, it's hard in this moment. Cause you even, we just hear her say, you know, I just want to go home now And like she does mean that physical home, obviously, because she's sitting in the district attorney's office, but she's also talking about a metaphoric home. She's talking about going back to where it's safe. You know, she has her home with her. She has her mom and her dad with her, those people with her. But she is just trying to go back to that place where she can push all this away. This is our first mention of someone talking about wanting to go home, but it won't be the last And then I just want to do a call out to the Wilds production crew for doing such a great job of showing indigeneity without it feeling stereotypy. So oftentimes when we have like indigenous people in movies, we're often shown like with like crazy fringe jackets and like headbands and like all this stuff going on, which like to be fair i know people who dress like that so i don't want to act like i don't know people who dress like that but often like it's this performativity around indigeneity where like we feel like well, we have to show that they're indigenous we really have to like go all in on it and they didn't do that in this ep- like they didn't do that in this episode they don't do it in this show and i just think like you know we see her mom like beating i'm like that's fine and then like she wears beaded earrings which is a real thing especially the joke in the community you'll never see people wear more beaded earrings than when they're going for a job interview because you know we engage in performat- like, performative performative <laughs> indigeneity too but um yeah her mom just wears like earrings and like her her mom's style even like bernice's clothes are yeah, it's just it's just done in such a thoughtful way and in such a real way, and like she dresses like people I know, like people I work with. I'm in
0: love with Bernice.
1: <laughs> you have a thing for older women, though, so like I'm not actually surprised. You're but always like, you're always in love with the older women and everything that we watch.
0: Yeah, I am, and you know what? It's good news for you because you're going to grow up. You're going to look at Bernice, and yeah, we're going to have a nice nice life together. There you go um but anyways it's just uh i just wanted to call it out because i think
1: it was done in a really thoughtful conscious way and i just feel like we should take notice when those things are happening because yeah you can be indigenous without being covered in beadwork you also be indigenous and be covered in beadwork though so very thin line
0: yeah, well, and it's just it's just nice to see. It's not like every single symbol of indigeneity is tossed on these characters. Like, like people oh, are, it's
1: not like people are like medallions and like dreamcatchers everywhere. Yeah.
0: Dreamcatcher in the window shield. Dreamcatcher in the window. Dreamcatcher in the bedroom. Dreamcatcher tattoo. Like you know, it's it's more thoughtful than that.
1: And the things they do still feel authentic. There's a scene later in. Um, Bernice's living room when they're watching TV and like it looks like every fucking like res living room I've ever been in in my entire life but like without like having to put like all the things on the walls, so just like very small touches where I'm like I've been in this living room before it looks like
0: your papa's house
1: yeah and <laughs> well, like they really keep like beadwork centered on the dancers so the moments when you see people with the most amount of beadwork on is when they're dancing which is how it should be like people don't like full-on wear. They wear, like, touches of beadwork. They don't, like, wear mass amounts of, like, beaded things in everyday life because it's really fucking heavy.
0: Yeah, the jingle, like, that's something that's important, I think, to say is, like, those jingle dress, 365 jingle cones. Oh, man, they're so heavy. That is such a... It's heavy AF.
1: Well, it's connected to, like, when you're dancing jingle, you're working, right? Like, you're working to heal people, so it's really connected to that as opposed to, you know, like, Fancy Shawl, which... There's a story about it. It's like a lighter dance, but like, yeah, you're, when you're, you're, you are working, when you are doing a jingle dance, you are working to heal someone or heal people or heal community. And so there's, it's heavy. I feel like all I talk about this episode is like figuratively and metaphorically, but it's, it's heavy in like all concepts of the words when you're in a jingle dress. So popping back to the island. As we like to do, we're splitting them into sort of like two teams, two groups today. So one is going to be beach group, which is made up of Leah, Fatten, Dot, Nora, and Rachel. And the other, which is our woods crew, which is made up of Shelby, Martha, and Tony. So we're going to start with our beach group and sort of go through what happens for them today. So we open up, you know, Leah is kind of sitting on the beach. She's picking at her eyebrow sort of continuing that bit of a spiral that we saw from her in the morning fatten comes over to sit down with her to try and calm her down they start talking about you know what's going on for her and lee actually has like a pretty good awareness of it you know she shares that you know this is the worst it's been and she's talking about how dark she's feeling and that feeling of wrongness that's in the pit of her stomach so she knows something is going on she launches into this sort of very poignant goldfish analogy, which I'm really excited to break down into, but the conversation kind of ends with Fatten doesn't see sort of like the layers of nuance and meaning in it as potentially as much as I do. And so Fatten sort of brushes it off and Leah gets mad and takes off. All right, let's talk through this goldfish story. So Leah shares, when I was seven, I had this suicidal goldfish and we had to put mesh over the top of its bowl so that he wouldn't jump out. And this one day we went to my grandmother's house in Marin And on the way there, I became obsessed that we had forgotten the mesh. And the dread was like insane. It was all I talked about was the mesh, the fish, and I started crying so much that my parents finally took me home. The fish was fine. The mesh was on. But there was a gas leak in the basement where the dog slept. My dad found him unconscious. He was okay in the end because we found him when we did. And she kind of like expands into this and shares, you know, that there's... There's a reason, there's a meaning that she lets sort of her mind go down these paths because there's usually something important in them. And so she's had these moments where these spirals that she's had, these trains of thought she's followed are all embedded and begued with layers of meaning, of nuance, of foreshadowing, of foresight, of her being able to understand things and put things together subconsciously that are going to be happening in the future. So almost as though she has like that little bit of like clairvoyance that we often talk about fat and having as well. So it's very interesting that they're the ones that are having this conversation. And I really identify with that sense of I'm a big, everything has a reason person. That's something like that, you know, people are like, I don't understand why this happened. I'm like, well, there's a reason I just like, I, that's something that I also really like down deep in my gut believe as well. And I think, It's hard for Fatten because she tries to brush it off saying you can't let this one coincidence govern the rest of your life. But honestly, like that's all humans really are. We are just this collection of experiences and repeated motions and things that have worked in the past. Everything that we do is built upon by what has happened to us before. And and we're using that knowledge to sort of like guide and navigate what's happening in the future. So it's not as easy to just say, we're not going to talk about this and we're not going to go into this.
0: Well, and it's interesting that that said in the context of Martha's episode too, because again, going back to this injury and what happened because of Dr. Ted, that has influenced the course of her life. And that's, you could say something like that for every single one of their girls, and Fatten included, where one choice, one decision, or one external factor, going back to Nora's quote about whether it's internal or external, where the dangers come from, those dangers can influence. And so all of the girls can point to one or two things that have really influenced their pathway and how they got here. And more than that, Gretchen says later on, when Martha had a criminal case, she says, that's one of the reasons why I chose her. So more than that, These one or two things led them to this exact point too.
1: And that's important. That line about Martha comes in this scene. So that's when we see there's a picture that Nora's drawn of her as an angel. And she's kind of huddled in the woods. And the woods are all very scary around her. And there's like faces in the hollows. But she has her wings wrapped around her. And... Lee is a weird one because her dangers are both internal, yes, but they are external as well. So when she tells this story about the goldfish, like there was a genuine external threat that she was just responding to internally, that she was picking up subconsciously on cues to internally. The island, yes, her, what is going on with her is internal, but there is an external threat that's looming around her. And this really connects back to this story that she shared sort of her first Um, mythologizing story that she kind of shared back in episode six with the detective where she talked about that monster under her bed and she talked about you know she could see it so vividly and everyone kind of like brushed it off and, and pushed it away as her active imagination And so she has all these lines of like real versus perceived threat, like the seen and the unseen and what scares her the most of those. I don't think she even really knows. I think it's still something she's working through and she's navigating and she's breaking down and she's trying to understand. It's easy to break her down and say that all of her threats come externally, but... I think even Martha, like, one of her threats is her inability to come to terms with what happened. So in the same way that Leah is faced with both external and internal threats, Martha is as well.
0: I want to just pick up on something that Leah says in this scene as well. She says, I just can't help but feel like this place is, like, touched. And I think that's an interesting feeling because she feels like, in some way, the experience is being produced and I can see how she would feel like that in terms of, you know, the pilot being in on it, but Ned never coming and the ways in which that influences them to change their patterns of behavior, their consumption patterns, eating all the things as an example. I think she also feels like that because of the ways in which things come up ashore just as needed. You know, she talked a lot in a couple episodes ago about the med bag and how it felt like a deus ex machina as well as other deus ex machinas. And so that really reinforces that feeling that she feels like it's produced and that like every experience that she's having has been externally imposed. And they have to some degree, right? I mean, the pilot
1: flying over was not externally imposed, but the fact that he didn't come back was. And so that's why I have such a hard time like just boiling Leah down to just being like, well, she's paranoid. Because, like, she is paranoid, but she's paranoid with reason. Mm -hmm. And there are reasons that she's paranoid. And there are things that she's picking up. There are energies that she's picking up from around her. I think, too, her kind of picking at her, her eyebrow has a lot of, like, connections. So, number one, the easiest one, very connected to Gretchen and her neck scratching. So, sort of that physical manifestation of anxiety or of anguish. It's also really connected to Martha, though, in this episode. We see her when she's stressed. She doesn't pick at her body in the same way. And so that does probably connect a little bit to those external factors. But we see her picking at the gum under a chair. Later, we see her snapping her bracelets against her wrist. So there are different ways of manifesting. But it's still that connection where where these things that are happening internally, that are happening mentally, and emotionally are having sort of like a physical representation or are are creating like physical implications on our bodies. So while this is going on, we pan over to Nora and Rachel. Nora is trying unsuccessfully to catch a very large fish. And Rachel is sort of watching from some rocks. Nora tries to get Rachel to come and help her. And Rachel is very reluctant to get in the water and so Nora starts questioning and pushing about why Rachel is afraid of the water and when Rachel doesn't really have an answer Nora takes her up to a cliff she asks her to go for a walk Nora kind of in this moment says to Rachel you need to make a truce with the water and you need to you need to fix that sort of relationship and Rachel comes back and says you know the water's always made her sick Nora's been very against diving. She's been very against Rachel having that relationship with the water. She also, in a lot of ways, thinks that it's unhealthy for Rachel. But she's very focused on, like, I think this is actually what you need to be well. And so she pushes and asks Rachel to dive off the cliff.
0: Yeah, this this feels out of place for me. And I can't put my finger on it. So maybe you have a a good rationale for it. But it has been six days. And... I don't know what happened in those six days. You know, when we last saw Rachel, her relationship with the water, yes, she got the muscles that made the girl sick. Yes, in the last episode we saw six days ago, she got her moon time and then she said that she was ready to move on Well, from the muscles diving. were even before that. Yeah, and so I just don't know what happened in this period of time where she had this kind of repulsion towards it. I get where she's coming from. Certainly when she says all it's ever done is made me sick, but... I just, I can see why she wouldn't want to dive off of things because that might be too like harmful, but like avoiding the water altogether is just a bit, I don't quite understand it, I don't think.
1: It does feel out of place. I agree with that. It kind of, I don't know what led. This is like a very serious aversion to the water and a very serious sort of fear that she's going through. And I don't have a point that would make her feel that way. I can understand if she. you're right. She said she doesn't want to dive. She doesn't want to swim, but this is, uh, this is something else and I don't really know what the origin of it is.
0: All that to say is send us your theories if you have, yeah. a, have a thought about this. And
1: I actually kind of like, when it was happening, I was like, is this out of time? Is this like out mm-hmm. of order? Is this out of organization? But it can't be because like what happens with Leah is so intentionally timed with like what happens with everyone who goes into the woods. Like the, it actually like does have to happen sequentially in this order because it's it's too tied with other pieces that are going on. So I genuinely don't know where the fear of the water came from. This is like a big turning point for Nora. What happens when she takes Rachel up onto that cliff because she's been struggling to ask Rachel to adhere to a version of being well that Nora herself is defining. And you see this flip for her where she starts to understand that, you know, what the definition of well is to her isn't necessarily the definition of what it is to Rachel. So for Nora, you know, she says, you know, I don't want you in the water. I don't want you diving. I want that whole part of your life to be over. Look to the future. But that's not how Rachel functions. That's not what Rachel needs. That's not what Rachel wants. She needs that path, that goal. But she also needs like the water has like an actual tangible connection to her as well, which is really important. And so in this moment, we see Nora sort of stepping back and dropping everything and saying, you know, I just want you to be well, but I want you to define what it means to be well. I don't want to define it for you. And I think there's like a really nice comparison in there to Dan. And when Dan meets with Leah and says, or even with Shelby and says, these are the things that you need to be. This is what well looks like. Trying to like really pin them down into one space, as opposed to Nora on the other end, who's really opened that up and said, what does well look like to you? And I will help you get there. I also don't trust Nora's scouting for a dive
0: spot. Oh, I do. Do you? Oh yeah. No, I don't. If Nora told me jump, I'd say, how high?
1: So while this is going on on the beach, Dot and Fatten are just watching Leah pace. She's just going back and forth. We're getting that weird Hitchcock-y kind of like music to her again. And those like weird spooky kind of like angles where she's just staring off into the distance. And they're trying to get her to sit down. And she starts talking about how, you know, the water is an exit. It's a door. It's a pathway off the island. That that was Jeanette's way out. And then she just bolts she runs for the water for the
0: second time for the
1: second time that she's yeah she's like bolted for the water and like the water looks like it did back on day two or whatever when rachel wanted to swim out to the wreckage and you know leah talked about it being a riptide back when leah was like you know she assessed the water before she ran into it uh it's like pretty dangerous and you know fatten and dot are kind of like running after her screaming that she needs to stop So Rachel and Nora see sort of what is happening and Rachel goes and jumps off the cliff, swims out and brings Leah back to shore. Kind of in the nick of time because she was genuinely sort of drowning out there.
0: Leah is doing the same thing, chasing the way out of the island in the water as Rachel did when she went to go get the black box. They're both in and of themselves death missions. What happened when Rachel went to the black box could have led to a very serious reaction similarly with Leah and the way in which Rachel pulls back Leah in this episode and like how Leah still has energy she wants to go back out there and Rachel's exhausted is the exact same as when they came back from the black box and Rachel was so proud of the black box and both Leah and Nora were displeased and it's the same trio too both Leah Rachel mm. Nora And I just wanted to comment on that because, again, Leah's motivation, the way that her reality is, is that the water is the way out. And Rachel's reality was that the black box and finding that is also the way out. But one of them is more socially and societally accepted. Rachel's is like, oh, obviously, it makes sense. Black box. Leah's isn't. Rachel's thing didn't work. It was a plant. It was a touched reality. It was an influenced reality. Leah is actually right, but because it's so out there it's not accepted and this whole thing unfolds in the way that it does
1: well I think that's it though right because you know she says you know we swim until we're saved my question is is she right like is there a plan for this like if they actually like if Leah actually started swimming out is there a safety plan would Gretchen have a plan to actually save her yeah I don't actually I don't actually know that she's wrong you know the water exists around this island as this barrier that's really trapping them right? It, it is like this biggest foe that they face. Like we mentioned, a lot of our injuries are connected to water. It is this very destructive force for them. And it genuinely actually could be the way out. Like I don't, uh, I don't know. Leah versus herself is like, herself is, like she herself is her biggest foe sometimes, but the island is also her foe, right? And so like a lot of this show is really centered on like Leah versus the island. We see this when she looks at it as this like desolate barren place. We see it in some of the things that happen as people are lost or as there's no food and there's this big force of like nature and how it like conflicts with Leah and sort of like what's happening to her internally. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like also like the island is in its way its own physical representation and leah as sort of like a mental representation is always warring with it is always battling with it so there is definitely like something there and i like that a lot
0: i'll also just say too rachel rescuing leah a notch in the old rachel and leah friend for everyone's tracking purposes that's true we got to work on that for you all we'll release it as we finish
1: part one of the podcast which is the the recap portion
0: So something else I want to say is, as this is happening, we see Agent Young looking at a picture in Nora's journal, and it's a picture of Leah drowning. And the voiceover from Nora is drowning. She was drowning. She may be losing her mind, or maybe because she was starting to see things all too clearly.
1: And something important to pull out of this is the first half of that quote is written in the journal, but the second half isn't. So what's actually missing from the journal is, or maybe because she was starting to see things all too clearly. Why? is like my first reaction. Like, why is that portion of the quote missing? And then I start thinking about, you know, who is this notebook for? Is it for Nora or was it made for Gretchen? And so by specifically hiding that piece about, you know, Leah actually starting to see things too clearly, is she hiding that information from Gretchen? Is she, is she hiding the fact that she was starting to see things is she hiding it from the girls who maybe would come across the journal and read it and think seeing what too clearly what does that mean it's this weird interesting sort of contrast between the two
0: definitely and i'm not sure if the original audience for it was gretchen but i think nora knew that gretchen was going to take a look at anything that come across i mean it's any good researcher anything's an artifact
1: yeah and i do think there is a potential she is censoring it from the other girls who you know her journal is not a top secret thing they can all go through and flip it and it would have maybe given some validity to the things that leah is saying because obviously at this point now we know that Nora's the 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 confederate right (laughs) like we found we haven't gotten there in like our recap but obviously we know at this point right so would it have given away too much in that moment too that's also a possibility but it was a conscious choice to cut it but also to let it remain in this storytelling piece that Nora is doing so Rachel manages to pull in Leah from the water they all sort of collapse gasping for air on the island and Dot brings up that you know we can't do this like Leah needs to take one of those benzos she needs to calm down at the same time Leah's already trying to go back to the water Fatten convinces her to take the pill and uh, we see her kind of pass out So there's obviously a parallel in this scene to Shelby making Tony take the pill back during Musclegate. And so it mimics it in this way, except Fatten's approach is way gentler and way better than her approach earlier in this episode. So similar to what we saw last episode with her approach for Shelby when Shelby was in that full panic and which led to Shelby cutting off a chunk of her hair, Fatten has a chance to take a softer and take a different approach when she's working with Leah. So earlier Leah got upset with her feeling like she was dismissing her concerns, but Fatten comes in and and takes point on doing this and does it in a very like soft, supportive, kind way. So it does contrast, you know, Shelby literally climbing on top of Tony and making her take the pill, but they're just two different approaches for two different people that is really geared around convincing them that this is something that they need to do for their own wellness.
0: It's good because it gives Leah an opportunity to take some control back in some way, even though it's a very small way. You know, Fatten runs point on it and and allows Leah to take the pill herself and, and recognize and gives her that moment to make that choice for herself. Whereas, because Tony didn't want to make that choice for, for Tony, Tony would make the choice for Martha. So I think it's an interesting parallel. And yeah, definitely... Uh, parallels to be made
1: we also have another mention of home in this sense so fatten specifically is holding leah and leah says you know i want my mom and fatten echoes that back to her that she wants her mom too so i mean it is about wanting your mom but largely what they're saying is you know they want to go home they want to go back to that place that is safe so similar to what we saw with martha earlier on when she's in the da's office being confronted with all of these challenges and just wanting to go To that place where you know things are going to be okay it's such a contrast to shelby last episode who that's her biggest fear is having to go home
0: all right so back to martha so we jump over to a scene in martha's bedroom and we can tell here that this is when tony is staying with her and they're talking first of all about martha's jingle dress and tony makes a joke about how martha should avoid all magnets Martha doesn't really like the joke and so Tony takes this as an opportunity to start talking about the court case which I wouldn't say is a great transition but you do you Tony. Tony has a quote here about how Marty only ever likes to see the good in people but this feels a bit like denial and again Martha isn't taking this particularly well and it ends up reflecting back on Tony in terms of Martha differentiating herself from Tony. You know, she says that Tony kind of goes around always trying to make the world against her, and that's not how Martha wants to see the world. And they kind of end just with, like, not really apologizing to each other.
1: Yeah. First of all, Tony's joke is actually funny. I laughed. I thought it was a good joke. And I think, too, like, Martha in the situation, she's not ready, and it still seems she, like she isn't ready to really talk about what this is that's going on. So she's just very deflecting in this space. And, you know, she's so closed while Tony is so open in a way that is in direct contrast to what we kind of see of the way that they project themselves on the island. And it's just, it's interesting to see sort of like the different ways and the shapes and forms that their relationship takes. And this is definitely like sort of a new dynamic that we haven't seen from them before.
0: Right. And we see this dynamic a little bit later on, which is interesting too. The other thing I'll say is it, it's hard because I don't think Tony knows that how tied jingle dressing is to her trauma, which is really hard. And yeah. so I think, you know, Tony was really trying to use it as an opportunity to like get excited with Martha about something because Martha is otherwise not engaged. She's like on her phone and like you could tell that like Tony's trying to make an effort to bring her into a conversation of sorts. So, um, you know, that part's kind of hard to watch too. The next thing we see is a scene between Bernice and Tony, and we can tell it's early on in the relationship of Tony moving there. You know, Tony is washing the sheets, and Bernice says, You know, you don't need to do your own sheets. And she also says, Oh, you're a night owl like me. And Tony says that they're not actually her sheets and that Martha said that she spilled juice on them, but Bernice picks it up right away and says, Oh, you know, she wet the bed. And they end up having a conversation outside about how. Martha used to wet the bed and it only started after she saw Dr. Ted and it sounds like she hasn't done it in a, in a long time. Yeah, the
1: bedwetting is another one of those similar to how we've seen with Leah and sort of the picking of her eyebrows. It's another one of those physical expressions of trauma. It's actually very common, like especially for, for kids and people who have experienced trauma. So it's it's Bernice immediately calls it and recognizes it for what it is also like tony just like seeing this thing that happened and then like going and washing martha's sheets it's just like so soft and so sweet and i just like can't handle backstory tony
0: tony's an act of service gal yeah it's true and you can tell this is another one of those moments where bernice is really beating herself up about the role that she had or the choices that she made that influenced martha meeting dr ted and so tony is also a great listener and so we see a moment here where Bernice is talking about how she can't believe that she let that sick fuck into her life and how she often reflects on how Martha always sees the good and the nice and how she reflected as a parent that that's because you raised her good. But she makes a parallel that in actuality it was that, you know, Martha created a fantasy world because her reality was too painful.
1: Well, she's, yeah, she's trying to see the world that she wants as opposed to the world that currently is and so it brings up you know if seeing things in a positive light is a choice and is a conscious choice that martha makes then seeing things in a negative light is a conscious choice as well and so there's this nice contrast between Tony who always sees those negative things and Martha who always sees the positive and understanding the ways that it leaves blind spots for both of them and creates situations where there are things that then they don't see.
0: We then pan over to a scene where Martha is wearing her dress in her living room and on the news we see that Dr. Ted was arrested trying to flee and the announcer says that they're hoping that more brave victims will come forward. I'll also just tie this scene together with a scene a bit later Where Martha starts crying in her bed, and then Tony ends up climbing in bed with her and holds her. And we hear Martha kind of say, as she's crying, he's a monster.
1: We hear that word brave again, brave being used, and understanding how that word can uplift some people, but also push other people down. Because, like, Martha is brave just in the sense that she survived, that she's still here, that she, you know, walked through it. But the way that this is, is it makes it seem that because she's not speaking out, because she's not there in her healing journey to really be able to address and talk about it and verbally acknowledge what happened, that then she's not brave. And I think like that's something that weighs on her and challenges her through all of these these spaces. Also, like, Tony just climbing in and holding Martha in the bed is so sweet. I'm just, like, me backstory Tony. I'm like, Tony's so sweet. But also, I think it's a really hard thing for me to kind of process through because with some of the other things that Tony says and with some of the ways that she talks to Martha on the island, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if she uses enough care. And she should be able to see the implications of these things on Martha. And so then I question, like, why can't she see? Like, why can't she see the ways that Martha connects you know her unwillingness to hurt other things with her not wanting to be compared with the person who hurt her
0: well i think that's it's also true with the way that tony thinks about shelby too right like she can't see the way that shelby's big picture creates walls for shelby too and can't respond to it in the same way that she can't see martha too so i think that's just a struggle that tony has perhaps
1: maybe it's like a big picture versus a
0: small details person and tony is just more into the small details so just to wrap up Martha's backstory, we see a couple of, of scenes with regards to the trial. So we see her at a sworn grand jury testimony, and she's asked if at any point there was any contact that was sexual in nature with Ted. We pan over to the powwow, and she's having a nice chat with her coach in advance about, you know, how to prepare and they, how they don't give you that much slack, but that essentially she's going to crush it. We then see Bernice and Tony talking as they're going into the powwow. And Bernice is still really struggling with this. You know, all she hears are the lies that she told in court. And Tony's response is they might not feel like lies to her. But Bernice draws it back to stuff that she refuses to see. And so Bernice and Tony's conversation is interrupted. And we see Martha getting ready that Martha doesn't put on all of her beadwork. Apparently, Martha Flea decided to disappear and we go back to that room where she was getting ready and we see her jingle dress hanging up.
1: Yeah, and I think this is so hard because Martha's testifying because once again, like she feels like it's sort of like the right thing to do, but also because she's being told to do it, but she's not ready. She can't even admit what happened to herself, let alone in front of a big group of people. You know, Bernice says she doesn't see it. I think Martha does see it, but she just can't bring herself to say the words out loud. It's very different, like, knowing something happened to you versus talking about something happening to you. So she can't really bring herself to say it or admit it out loud. And I just want to, like, call back to that quote from Dr. Ted. He said, whenever you dance, you're going to think of our time together and know that you are capable of anything. And there's multiple ways that you can look at this especially of knowing that you're capable of anything and like the second version i think martha will get to but it is like an evolution it is a scaled up version that she's not at yet so the way that the place that she's sitting with it currently is every time she's danced she's reminded of these terrible things that happened to her she's reminded of the trauma that was that that was caused to her But the evolution scaled up version that I know that we're going to get of Martha and that we actually do kind of get a little bit later is understanding that, you know, when she thinks about the time together and knowing that she's capable of anything, when she connects that to jingle dress dancing, it's that resilience piece. It's that thinking she's capable of anything and that she can overcome this trauma that was caused upon her. She can grow she can still be well she can be healthy she can work towards her healing she can create a better world and be able to like shape and move and grow past it and that is the evolved version of her that we're going to get to she just at this moment at this powwow she's not there yet
0: this actually takes
1: us to our field note of the week which is a very different vibe from what we've just been talking about but i'm excited to give it to you so it's number 120 Concession stands at powwows offer a wide range of food, both indigenous and not depending on the region. You could find fare like fry bread, tacos, corn soups, and traditional game meat right alongside more stereotypical fair food like nachos, burgers, hot chips, and corn dogs.
0: Part of the reason I picked this quote is because I really just want to tell a very funny story. This did not happen to me, but a very good friend of mine who I'll keep anonymous uh, for their privacy, <laughs> uh, but they'll know who they are. <laughs> um, so a few years ago I was living and working with one of my friends on reserves and there was a powwow in the community that weekend. And about midway through my friend was like, you know, I'm not really feeling that great and was thinking that they maybe had like a gallbladder issue or like something was happening very badly to them digestively. And so I was like, well, you know, what have you eaten over the past two days? You know, maybe it's something you ate. And her response was, well, for lunch, I had a Bannock burger which is, like, a deep-fried piece of fry bread. So, like, deep-fried, like, biscuit, essentially, with a huge burger. I think it was a moose burger, too. So, you know, for lunch, I had a Bannock burger. And then for dinner, I had a taco in a bag, which is when you take a bag of Doritos and fill it with a bunch of, like, meats, like, taco fillings, right? So, like, meat, cheese, lettuce, tomato, like, some vegetables. so good. Yeah, but the base is Doritos layered with, like, greasy meat. And then she's like, and then so for lunch I had a bannock burger, then I had a talk with bag, and then she's like, and then for lunch today I had another Bannock burger. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe that's the reason why. So long story short, powwow food is outstanding, but I would recommend maybe not eating it for three meals in a row. For... These are these
1: are also choices. Corn soup is quite good for you. She could have
0: had She yeah. could have had some corn soup and balance it out. Let's not be down on the powwow food. Yeah, no no no. Like this is all her fault. Like I'm not negating that it it is entirely her fault. Uh but just, you know, try to mix yeah, mix in some corn soup, I think is the yeah is the motto of the story.
1: Yeah, it's a good motto of the story. Also, like obviously it's COVID right now, so there are no powwows, but like this field note also just makes me really sad because a i want to go to a pow because i just want to be at a powwow but also i'm just like yes and then i'm like they talk about corn dogs and i'm like fuck corn dogs i'm like i want a fucking scone dog and then i get very excited but anyways we just we liked this field note because also it's it's world building it's giving depth to those some of those pieces and it's real all this food is good
0: i just want to close the storyline here on dean he ends up meeting gretchen in the hallway He says to Gretchen that he couldn't find much, and so it might take more of a conventional solution to make this problem go away, i.e. throw some money at it. Gretchen asks him, you know, wasn't she involved in a criminal case? It's one of the reasons why I chose her. And he says, you know, she was, and actually she perjured herself on the stand at the Minnesota State Court. Number one, perjury
1: like this isn't leverage clearly like martha is a underage girl who was assaulted and so her lying to a grand jury yes perjury is a thing but genuinely like i actually don't think that that's leverage at all against her like she she is a victim in this situation so i'm like that's bullshit the rest of the shit that that gretchen lists off like speeding tickets or false insurance claims once again i'm like she's 17 like what the fuck is this shit right like but i think it goes into this bigger narrative That she's testing him in this moment. And so she's testing, like, what he's telling her, what he's not telling her. And I think, like, she has a bigger question of, will he follow her blindly? And so they've had this sort of moment this tension that they faced at the beginning of the episode when she gave him the box and now she's bringing it around she's taking back some of the things that she said but I do think she's looking to know if she has his blind faith and I do think it's connected back to Rachel's overall theory that she wants to know if she can keep and maintain power will he move against
0: her. Yeah, I mean, you definitely just, like, co-opted everything I was going to say, right? I was going to be like, it's connected it. to the experiment within the experiment, okay, Allie. But let's... you just went, you took it. No, I'm happy it has legs. I'm happy you like it. I just feel, like, <laughs> stolen, like my thunder. It's like, you first took the research thing from me. Now you're taking the experiment within the experiment. What's next, huh?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Once you put it out into the world, it's, it's co-owned. But... Like, it's true, though. Like, even when she's like, oh, I brought this box. It was going to be my afternoon. I'm like, this is bullshit. You specifically wanted him to go through Martha's box. Like, you this brought it. This is a test. You brought it into the room for him, all packaged in a very particular way, and then just happened to get into a bit of an argument with him and say, oh, here's a box. Why don't you go through it?
0: And just apologies to all of the jobs I've ever had. But part of me is like, is happiness the outcome we're really interested in here? Like... I don't know like can anybody really be happy when you're like grilling these girls that you surveilled for months and months and keeping them separated you know you could really tell that Agent Young is struggling with this and so I thought the fact that she was interested in happiness was interesting.
1: Yeah it's she she has an overall an overall test for him and we get into it more next episode because there are there are some things that he does that I'm like huh How much of this is planned there, Dean? Or how much of this was anticipated? Because we've seen him throughout the episodes start to empathize a lot with the girls in a way that from a researcher's perspective, you wouldn't want to do. Like he is having that emotional attachment to them. He wants them to be able to get together. He wants to be able to stretch and bend the rules. Similar to how Dan was, but Dan wants it a little bit more for control. And so for Dean, it's not control, but he's also not recognizing And honoring, I guess, Gretchen's authority over the the program. Like I said, he wants to dissent. He wants to argue with her. And she wants complete autonomy and ownership over everything that's happening.
0: Well, I guess it's interesting because what's more dangerous to Gretchen? Is it Dan taking over the experiment and controlling it and turning it likely in a more sinister way? Or is it Agent Young giving too much leniency to the girls and then having them probably figure everything out well that's
1: the question though too is if you look at dean as like a lever as a tool it's the actual question is is dan more dangerous or are the girls more dangerous like Mm -hmm. are the girls with freedom and information and all the tools that they need more dangerous to gretchen or is it dan because i don't think like like dean would give that to them but then it's in their hands then you have Aaliyah armed with information and a Shelby armed with information and a Rachel armed with information. And like all of these people who are so smart and so intelligent and like also are great planners in a lot of ways who could really like take shit down. And so the other piece that we have to talk about with this is specifically the point of this exercise is that Dean is supposed to help them find a way out of this one. There's a lot of theories about this. You know, we see Dean very emotional we don't see Martha in any of the bunker scenes. So there is, you know, a fairly big concern in the community that Martha is dead.
0: Which community?
1: <laughs> in the Wilds fandom?
0: <laughs> oh, I wasn't sure if you were talking about the 100 community.
1: <laughs> or about the indigenous community. There's so many communities <laughs> I could be talking about. Um, especially in connection with, you know, the picture that Nora draws of her, of her being an angel. I don't think that Martha's dead. I don't think for a second that Martha's dead. I don't think that anything that, you know, Gretchen is talking about is good enough leverage for if she's actually dead to use against her parents. Number one, I think that that's bullshit. Number two, I think the picture that Nora drew of Martha was in the middle-ish of the notebook. So I feel like it was drawn before anything could have happened to Martha. So I don't think that that's accurate at all. I think that's more about, you know, they talk Martha the pure and they use a lot of those words and they compare her as kind of like an angelic, like good spirit person. Number three, be a really fucking dumb move on their part because there's a persistent narrative of the way that indigenous people are portrayed in media, which is drumming, dancing, drunk or dead it's like a big problem in the way that we're portrayed in media and like going down that path is like a really fucking dumb move especially when you've created this character who is beloved does like a really great job of representation and you've done and put so much care into representing Um, going down that sort of trope line is not a great look so currently my theory is actually that martha is missing And I think like we've seen touches, suggestions, edges that, you know, Martha maybe does have some sort of skills and a little bit of that like resiliency piece. And so I don't know if like when they went to extract the girls, if she disappeared, if it's part of a bigger plan. I honestly think if Martha was dead, Tony would be way more fucking wrecked. Totally. Yeah, she is calm in the room as a lot of people have pulled out. But I think she would be way, way more messed up. I think a lot of them would be really messed up. And so we do have that sort of, you know, they talk about the events and the incidents, but I think the repercussions of that would be way more tangible than what we're actually seeing. So I am of the camp that Martha is missing, the girls know why she's missing, and it's part of a bigger scheme that they're running.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'm that deep into like this, the theory, but I would just, I can, I think I've only so far thought that she's not dead because of how calm Tony is. And also Shelby too, right? In terms yeah. of, you know, her and Shelby became quite good friends as well. And and Martha is like beloved by all, as you mentioned. So I don't know if I'm that far into the camp of like, there's a reason she's missing and... Oh no, I think there's a reason. But you, you don't have to think there's a reason, but
1: I don't think she's dead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not dead. You heard it here first. You heard it here first.
1: So heading over to our woods crew, we have Martha, Tony, and Shelby walking through the woods. They're checking out all those places that normally there are berries, but they're finding that there aren't any sustainable food sources as they're coming across. Shelby kind of runs into a tree, and we see a little bit of, like, an exchange between her and Tony about her haircut. I still don't understand why she just didn't cut it all the way around, but you do you, Shelby. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to game plan a little bit what their next move is. Shelby finds some scat in the woods and decides that their game plan going forward is going to be that they are going to hunt whatever left it. Martha's horrified by this and sort of takes off. Also, like her downplaying her like hunting. She's like, yeah, I'm sort of a part of the hunting community. I'm like, didn't you say in episode one that you like brought down a 12 point buck and like gutted it in a field? I was like, I don't think that's like kind of a part of the hunting community, Shelby.
0: Well, yeah, Shelby, Shelby has multitudes. Yeah, multitudes. But I think Martha, when she's,
1: when she's moving away, what she's really saying is like she can't see herself in that predator role. She's connecting that back to, to Ted. She just can't put herself in that. She's like, fish and, and berries, that's what we're supposed to be eating because she can't kill another thing. It's intercut with this image of her flipping a turtle around and letting it like walk off that care that she gives to things around her to put out into the world the care that she wasn't given. So the group is separated. Shelby and Tony are walking. Tony stops to pee, you know, jokes that she has performance anxiety about it. Ask Shelby to sing to help. And we hear them kind of start to like bond and have sort of like regular conversation as opposed to conversation that's just layered in meaning.
0: And something that is a nice parallel. So Tony asks Shelby to start singing, which she starts singing some Macklemore. And something really cute is that Tony says, that's random, I like it. Which is a nice parallel to when Shelby was talking about Andrew a few episodes ago. I think it was in Dot's episode. And when she was trying to have like a nice moment with Andrew, he said, that's random and kind of made it seem like it wasn't appreciated or liked. So it's just like a nice parallel to like Tony appreciating Shelby for who she is and kind of what comes to mind to her in this moment.
1: Well, this walk is almost the opposite of the first walk that they had, right? So we have one of them going to pee again, but instead of like Tony being annoyed by Shelby singing, like she asked her to do it, right? And then there's also a little bit of a parallel to Tony holds back a bush for Shelby to walk through and, you know, doesn't branch her in the face with it, but like (laughs) actually holds it back. (laughs) Shelby's walking by. I was like, this is bold, Shelby, because I would be a little
0: bit like, this didn't go well for me last time. This is the difference between Tony and I, too, because I would fake pretend to slam it back at Shelby. Yeah, but Tony, instead, is kind of is sweet about it. She's soft. She's soft, yeah. I also thought Macklemore said pop some caps, so. <laughs> Let's pop some tags. Yeah, and I understand now it's about thrift shop, and I understand all the lyrics. I, I did a deep dive yesterday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's another one of those pullback 2012 songs, I think. While this is going, you know, Martha's wandering by herself in the woods and she comes across the goat and, you know, she's talking to it and she's saying it needs to go and she's she's pushing it to leave and Tony and Shelby come across her then and Martha's kind of scares off the goat, which doesn't move very quickly. Um, <laughs> and then her and Tony get into it a little bit because Tony's asking, you know, why is Martha taking away this thing that they need in order to survive.
0: I also just love how uh, Martha refers to it as this, not my goat. Like, don't take my goat away. Um, She's very serious about it. She's dreamt about this goat. Like, Yeah, that's her goat. Don't take her goat away.
1: She's chased him when she was high. Like, they have a connection. They have a bond. Yeah, they have a bond. That's the real duo of this whole series (laughs) is Martha and the goats. And there's a little bit of a line that comes in here. You know, when Tony and Martha are fighting, there's this... All these layers of, you know, protect yourself, protect us, you know, don't protect him, protect us. And, you know, asking Martha to like choose herself and the girls over this goat, over some of these other pieces. But really they're asking is Martha to put herself and them first.
0: So after this moment, Tony and Shelby and Martha go their separate way again. And Martha manages to catch up to the goat, which wasn't surprising because the goat wasn't moving particularly quickly. You see her have a branch that she snaps, and you see that change in her where she says, I'm gonna go after this. And so it starts out with a branch, but as she gets closer to the goat, she sees a rock. So we see her both in her island clothes and in her regalia, and we flash back and forth between those two outfits. And she picks up the rock, she strikes the goat, killing it. What a fucking scene. This is my favorite scene in the whole series, I think.
1: This scene is so well done and the way that it's done is is very carefully, very consciously This could have gone wrong. This could have gone very wrong. It could have like equated a lot of her going back to being sort of, I don't know, like some of that like savage narrative and things like that. But it wasn't done in that way. It was really connected to that healing piece. It was really connected to her putting herself first, valuing herself, to her reconnecting to this piece of her culture of herself that she held really important. And it's also just really connected to what her steps are going to be for healing like how is she going to grow how is she going to develop how is she going to accept the things that happen to her and move forward in that good way
0: yeah and i'll also just say what makes the scene even better is you can hear the drum in the background too and so it all it's not just the the cinematography but the music it really just unites in one great culminating moment
1: well and hunting things is connected to culture too right like we vegetarianism isn't like a thing like if you look back like traditionally on our communities like I'm not gonna speak for all indigenous nations everywhere but like eating meat was important but what was important about it was that you know when you're killing something you're killing it because you need it you're using all the parts of it which I do believe that though they'll, they'll do when you're doing those things you also like you make An agreement between yourself and the animal where it knows why you're taking that meat or it knows why you're killing it and it's to sustain your life elsewhere so i think like it is connected to all of that and so it isn't like something like violent that that martha's doing and it still is very in connection with her recognizing some of those teachings in our culture
0: back to tony and shelby are talking about, you know, is Martha going to be okay? And Tony says, you know, maybe, maybe not. This place makes you face your demons. And Tony then says, you know, it's not, you're, we're not talking about you though, Shelby, which Shelby says, I know. Excitedly, as they're having this conversation, they stumble upon a lychee tree. So again, you know, go to the forest. It's plentiful, it's bountiful, it's not about berries. Here's this huge fucking lychee tree. Why weren't you doing this days ago?
1: Because they they only go out randomly and they don't like, they come across these things and they're like, oh, look at what we found. And I'm like, if you did a systematic search of, okay. Also though, to be fair, I did not know what lychees looked like. So I was like, oh, cool.
0: Systematically, whew, that was a good word for me. (laughs) Grid, make a grid. Totally. And yeah, there's some fruits that like, sometimes I see like pineapples, look up how pineapples grow. That'll get you, it's weird. They start mowing down right away, and they make a reference to Musclegate. They say, even if we start hurling, it's going to be worth it. Their dynamic is really different. It's kind of a culmination of how their dynamic has shifted over the course of really the whole series, but also this episode, too. And so when Shelby has the tiniest piece of lychee on her cheek, Tony starts laughing. She moves it away. Shelby plants a smooch on Tony. Tony takes a step back and she looks really troubled to, to a lot of respects. You know, she doesn't want Shelby to kind of go away on her again. And so she asks Shelby if she's sure Shelby smooches her again, says she's sure. And then we fade to black with them continuing their smooch and removing some clothing.
1: Yeah. And I think what that's really going back to is, you know, the last time that they kissed, it sent like Shelby went to a full spiral and we talked a lot about that in the last episode of the pod is that I think, Tony was taken back by the amount of trauma that Shelby was clearly carrying for it so you know Shelby did this and Tony's not sure if this is another like active impulse that's genuinely going to cause immense amounts of harm to Shelby so really lets her like take the lead in that sense and really lets her gives her the space to guide it while still doing that in a supportive way Shelby is so different from where we left her at the end of last episode like all of this episode she's clearly done some work on herself and done some thinking over the past six days because we left her you know laying on that beach with leah so upset and it's almost like she needed that fall and that complete fall that rock bottom fall to be able to rise back up because the shelby that we see in this episode is so much stronger she's so much more sure of herself She's so much more in tune with, like, what she needs and what she wants in a really powerful way.
0: Well, I think, I think Shelby's the type of person that is able to draw strength when other people can't. And so I think, you know, everyone was really hinging their hat on rescue coming. And when it didn't, Shelby was able to kind of say, well, that's okay by me. Yes, she's like, great. uh, I need to go back to my pre-island Uh, I'm going to go back to my pre-rescue thing where I'm smooching Tony. So I don't mean I'm simplifying it and and trying to be a bit light about it, but I think she's able to see that we're going to be here for a while longer and I want to be free.
1: And I think, yeah, and I think it's worthwhile noting too, this is close to Becca Shelby, the Shelby that we see this episode. Very comfortable in her own skin, good with making jokes, laughs really easily and isn't feeling as performative as you know pre-breakdown Shelby kind of felt so she's sort of like getting back into that that sense that we saw last episode when she was at the bowling alley when she was in her bedroom where she's she's light and soft and and not feeling like she has to be someone that she's not that's something that I really saw in these scenes when Tony says that line about you know this place makes you face your demons And Tony kind of like backs it up and is like, sorry, I didn't mean that for you specifically, Shelby. I actually don't think it applies to Shelby. I don't think the island made Shelby face her demons. I think that the island gave Shelby the space to think about them in a way that she never had been able to do before. Whereas other people are in direct conflict with those. Shelby was already in conflict with those pieces and she needed the space to be able to step down, to be able to strategize, to be able to reevaluate and to be able to understand what's important to her. So it's just a very interesting difference and it still shows that little bit of a piece where i don't think tony fully understands what's going on with shelby and so it has like pieces of the puzzle but not all of the pieces i guess in a way that's similar to martha whereas tony has pieces and understands some of the trauma that martha's faced but doesn't understand how all those pieces are going together and how they're shaping the way that martha sees the world so last scene of the episode night beach scene All the girls other than Tony and Shelby and Martha are sleeping on the beach. We see Leah get up and she kind of wanders into the woods. She comes across Nora who is talking to a tree. But what she's really doing is she's talking to a camera. Leah confronts Nora about this. And Nora sort of turns around and tries to calm her down telling her she's dreaming. You know she's hallucinating because she's on those benzos and leads her
0: off. Yeah, and two things. Thing number one, hi, Susan! We missed ya! Whenever Susan comes on, Rachel gets so excited. She's like, hi, Susan! Susan and Audrey, my two pals. The other thing I want to say is the Nora being Confederate moment. Holy shit. The way that Nora speaks and her mannerisms just flawlessly transition from being, like, you know, always, like, quite concerning and thoughtful. That's how she's come off to date. But then in the moment where she's like leading Leah away, her tone doesn't change at all, but it immediately becomes like kind of creepy and you have some deep anxiety of like what's going to happen. And so I thought that was just really cool the way that they were able to do that with the character. You know, Nora doesn't actually change from, you know, her conversation with Rachel to her conversation with Leah, but the same, the energy is just able to go completely different.
1: I was shocked I think of all the people that you know we've always been toying around with who's the confederate who's the confederate who's the confederate Nora never even crossed my mind and i think that happened for a couple of reasons number one she never seems to do anything shady she's always just kind of like there and around so there was that piece and i think like it makes sense like thinking back like she does have a lot of knowledge of survival skills and like all of that random information that she's kind of compiled but i think the other thing is there's a sense that for the confederate the other person wouldn't know and so you automatically almost take like those close sister relationships off the list right because mm-hmm. you're like well if it's nora then rachel would have to know and so it's easier in so many ways to assume it's fatten like that weird scene we had where fatten's face looked weird i mean i was pretty sure it wasn't leah because she's very very what the fuck is going on an
0: experiment within the experiment within right. the experiment that's <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, But then even, too, with our other two, which is Dot and Shelby, like, it's easier to assume it's the two of those because they don't have that close relationship with the other person. So the other person could reasonably not know something like that about them. So those were the people that I was really looking at that I was really thinking of. Nora never even crossed my mind.
0: Well, and I think, too, just, like, the intensity of what the Confederate relationship is is also something that we weren't really sure about. So you know, it's one thing to think maybe it's Dot because of the ways in which, you know, we know Dot has that direct connection with Gretchen. And so maybe they're like, we're gonna do this. We're trying something out. We need you there for your wilderness skills. But the fact that like, there's a check-in process, there's cameras, Nora knows where they are. It's very deliberate. She's giving them field notes. She's giving them nuances. She's talking about the girls by name. She's saying that Leah's dangerous. Like. The intensity of that relationship is also, I think, a secondary surprise to the fact that it's Nora, too.
1: Yeah, it, uh, it shook me. I was shook.
0: All right, so moving over to our overall thoughts and feelings, there's two things I want to talk about. One is I just want to hone in for a moment on how this is told from Martha's perspective, we think, even though we haven't seen her. And I want to talk about two things within this. So one is a scene between Dot and Fatten when they're watching Leah pacing, and Fatten is wearing leopard print slips. And this is when we actually say our episode title of the week when Dot is saying, you know, Leah, you need to sit down, you need to conserve energy, and Fatten says, so basically I'm a role model now. Obviously the episode title, but I want to just comment that Dot in this episode looks extremely badass She's wearing like a purple cut like muscle shirt and like green Cargo shorts and I just wanted to point that out because I want to see more Martha and Dot I think it goes back to Martha's perception of Dot as like this like fearless leader in this true badass and so I just wanted to point out that subtlety The other thing I want to say is Tony and Shelby we know those are Martha's closest friends on the island and so it's not surprising that this is the episode where their relationship advances again and also where we see such a soft Tony. So I wanted to comment on that. The other main piece I wanted to talk about in my overall thoughts and feelings are I think we've talked a lot about the chemistry between the number of girls but I just wanted to say there's an underappreciated I think like Tony, Martha, Arana and Jenna chemistry the ways in which those characters interact with each other and build off each other, that sisterhood that they portray, like I said, I think it's just an underappreciated chemistry and that fondness and kindness so we get to see their relationship. And we've seen them so often in conflict on the island, but here we see them a lot as sisters and as confidants and as supporters and as friends. And so I just wanted to highlight on... The exceptional job that both of those women do as as actors and the way that it portrays in their character and that chemistry too.
1: So I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I am lukewarm on this episode. <gasps> yes, okay. I know. There are a lot of high points for me. You know, I talked about, you know, the, the careful way that they did Indigenous representation. I think there's a lot of really stellar ways that they portray sort of like the struggles that... Martha's going through the way that they sort of talk through the Leah problems, you know, the reveal of the Confederate, all of those pieces. To me, there are elements of it that felt a little bit like a filler episode, really gearing us up and getting us towards the finale, which is fine. But I wanted better for Martha, and I wanted better for Martha's episode. And so even episode length of this, it's only 40 minutes. I think Jenna has done such a phenomenal job throughout this series, especially as like a new actor, kind of like this is sort of like her first big role of like really bringing Martha to life. She's done like such a careful, conscious, considerate job. And I just wanted her to be given more to work with this episode. Martha's backstory was really good, but we just... I think it's, it's a hard contrast with Shelby's backstory last episode where we really, really got to like dig in deep to things. And I just didn't feel like we had enough time and space to do that in the same way with Martha. And as like, like as an indigenous woman, like I want to do that with indigenous characters and I want to see those nuances and like really build into those pieces. And I just didn't feel like we got the time to do that. And so I'm really hoping that we will do more of it in season two and, and all of those things. So I think, It's a good episode. I think all the episodes are good. But I don't think it would rank as high for me as some other episodes. And that's just it. I just felt that there were six steps to, like, the fantastic episode line. And we went, like, five of them. But we didn't take that extra step to turn this episode into, like, a a smash out of the park.
0: I think she is such, like, a strong and resilient character. And I think there could have been more ways in which they showed that strength as opposed to just, I mean, it is, like I said, it's my favorite scene, so I mean, it culminates in the most beautiful scene, but yeah, I just think that they, I just wish they gave her more opportunities, and I think it goes back to, there weren't a lot of scenes where she was alone, we didn't really get to see her, and the way that we saw Shelby, you know, when she was in the hallway, that alone time, we got to see and sit with just her, we didn't really get that with Martha, and so yeah, I agree with you with that. I wish we, she was just given a little bit more space to be Martha and be Martha in her trauma and in her healing, too.
1: To be fair, like, I understand what this episode is. It's a transition episode. It's a redo episode in a lot of ways. We go back and we redo some of these really big pivotal scenes, you know, of Leah going out into the water. Also that parallel, like you said, with Rachel going into the water, of the Tony and Shelby walk. Of There's all these things that we almost redo in a way and redo in a different way. And it does connect a lot with Martha. There is like some very beautiful like metaphors in there with her, like rethinking like what happened and putting herself first and all of those pieces and her transition from this other person to this new Martha that she's going through. And I think there is, it's, it's a weird episode that was both there were moments that I felt were too on the nose, like in particular, when it was almost spelt out for us that the way that she perceived the world was that it was sunshine and rainbows and like there were some some places where I didn't think there was enough nuance. But there was other places where I was like, I think you needed to take this just a little bit further, right? And like that we're we're here for that, and that's what we've seen through previous episodes, but. I want to, like, I want to say, like, I would still give this episode, like, an eight and a half. I'm just, some of the other episodes have been ten. It's a hard act to follow Shelby's episode two, which I will will give to, to Martha and stuff. I just wanted more for her character. And yeah, so I'm hoping that it's something that we get to do. We get to do more next season. So next up, our favorite quotes from this episode. So mine comes from Nora. And so it's from that scene when Rachel and Nora are up on the cliff. And, you know, Nora's talking to Rachel about these feelings that she's having about the water. And Nora says, I don't want you to forget you. And so specifically talking about, you know, she she understands that things that happen to you, things that are important to you, they never leave you. Even as you grow, even as you change, even as you step forward in life, those passions, those those parts of you still remain and you don't want to forget them and you don't want to lose them. So even though diving may be over for Rachel, it's still an important part of her story. It's still an important part of like the path that she's taking. And so acknowledging and understanding and recognizing that.
0: I think that quote's interesting too, just in terms of we've heard a few references throughout, knowing now that Nora is the Confederate, of her talking to Rachel and saying, you know, the reason we're here is my fault. But the way in which she's still trying to get Rachel on this, like, therapeutic healing journey is interesting. So, yeah, I think that's a, it's an interesting quote and hopefully something we could dig more into as we go back through the episodes again. My favorite quote is from Tony, and it's when Tony and Shelby are walking together. This place, like, makes you face your demons or something. And it turns out your demons are really fucking ugly. And I picked this quote because I think it's true. And I think it's interesting that Tony said it. Because I think we don't see a lot of Tony feeling like she knows what's going on. You don't see her engage with Leah ever about what Leah is feeling or thinking. And I think that Tony, there's more than meets the eye in terms of what she thinks the intention of this place is and what the impact is about this as well. And so... I just wanted for us to all kind of hone in on that and think about that as my quote of the week. Well, it's meta in a way, because that, is, it,
1: that is what Gretchen's trying to do is she wants them to face their demons. So you're right. Tony isn't the person that you would assume would pick up on that, but she did.
0: So moving over to Deserted Island Partner of the Week, Allie, can you remind me what the criteria are?
1: So each episode, we assess who we would want to be Our partner, if we were ever stranded on a deserted island. The criteria that we use to evaluate is who kept everyone alive, who kept everyone sane, who was the island's MVP, and who best embodied Dusty's child
0: survivor. As always, we say it at the same time, we do not discuss it beforehand, and we go as a countdown. Yep. Are you ready? I'm ready. Allie's laughing, and it makes me feel like she's (laughs) gonna posit a controversial choice. So I can't wait to see all right all right ready ready three Three, two two, one one, martha oh jesus (laughs) sorry Sorry, okay uh why don't you go first cackler (laughs) okay so i (laughs) sorry Um, she like she might be leading (laughs) leah to her death like that was the vibe i got I know, I
1: know, I know. Okay, so I would like to put Nora up for Deserted Island Partner of the Week. There are a lot of reasons that I want to bring Nora up for Deserted Island Partner of the Week, and I knew it was gonna be controversial as I was saying it in this entire episode leading up to it. all right so these are my these are my arguments. Number one, everyone is fucking starving, and like yes, some people go out to maybe get some berries, but at least like Nora has fashioned a net and she's actually trying to get fish. She recognizes immediately that there's something wrong with Rachel and she tries to rectify that issue with Rachel. She also gets out of her head, gets out of this space that she's been in where she's decided that she knows what's best for Rachel and really tried to like, look at the bigger picture of what is best for her. Rachel was integral to this episode. Without a good Rachel, Leah probably would have drowned. But I would actually trace that back to Nora fixing this fear that Rachel was having of the water. I think the whole situation could have gone very dark, gone very wrong if that wasn't the case that's taken. I am also going to enter in for consideration the final scene of Nora um at the tree because you know what like I want someone, yes, who's going to make sure that I have food and who, when I'm struggling, is going to take care of me. But I also want someone who has a strategic mind and who can think big picture about things, which Nora's really demonstrated that she can. Now, she also demonstrated that she's a fucking liar. And so (laughs) do I necessarily um, want someone who would lie to me in the island? No. But would I want to be with the person who knows the overall scheme and plan and who is going to keep me safe? As she appears to be doing with Rachel. Yes.
0: Okay. Uh, where am I here? <laughs> so you're like, there's, there's a lot to unpack in there. So tell me, tell me about Martha. <laughs> uh no i'm gonna start with nora There's a couple things i want to say number one we both agreed that the rachel thing was made up drama and so the fact that that's like pivotal to your argument i'm not 100 percent sure if i buy it it is I,
1: it is made up drama but they're like it's made up in the sense that we don't know where it came from but rachel
0: did have a genuine fear of the water right i got yeah she wasn't just like pretending i guess yes. uh next thing like yeah she's trying to catch a fish but like she, like it's not a net; it's like a piece of fabric. Like I don't know if she was trying to like lift it out. Like that's never going to work. So at least she was trying. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't. I think I kind of get. Well, you're, while well, you're like, oh, she has a strategic mind. Like I'd want to be tied to the person that like knows why we're fucking here. She's but- also
1: so observant. Like her, she voiceovered the entire episode. These are all things that she's aware of, that she's thinking of. I want someone who's aware and thinking about things.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, I would picked Martha for lots of reasons. Number one, I think when she says, you know, people want to help out, the fact that she still has that perception in these times, I think is really critical to keeping them some morale, like having a little bit of morale. The second thing I picked her about is when her and Tony and Shelby are just about to go on their walk and Tony says... Oh, we should take Shelby out. Martha says, I'm so proud of you, Tony. I think that's good to validate Tony's growth and that supportive role that she plays. And then last but not least, I mean, I think I thought the only rationale I was going to need is that she killed the fucking goat. Now they have goat for a fucking week. Who kept everyone alive equals Martha. Who got everyone sane? Nora gets exempt from that.
1: It's okay. I, I, Martha can win this week because I knew I wasn't going to win it. I was like, this is my person and I'm going to go in and I'm going to argue it. But I, had to, like, I knew you were going to be upset. That's why I couldn't really keep it together as we were going into it. I do want to give a shout out to, to Nora because... I think she's brought some value all season and I think that this is just like the culmination of that value but I understand your issues with it I understand your hesitancy around it I understand all the people who are probably listening right now who are like what the fuck are you talking about Allie so with that I am more than happy to give this to Martha Blackburn
0: something that's really funny is my I had a controversial dark horse choice as well and I was going to advocate for Leah as Desert Island partner. And if you could imagine, if you said Nora and I said Leah, we had to choose between those two, <laughs> the slack we would get.
1: Okay. It was a weird week because a lot of our top contenders didn't do
0: that much. Yeah, well, they were... Like they Dot. Were was, lounging.
1: Yeah, gathering woods. Like Shelby. I mean, Shelby was out and about. But anyways, it Shelby was... Shelby was doing other things. Yeah, Shelby's doing other things. It was just a bit of a... She's a bit of a weird week. I thought about giving it to and too for like all that she did to support Leah. But I uh, I had a, I just felt it in my gut that I had to argue Nora. So yeah, here we yeah. are. All right. All right.
0: Take us out, Allie.
1: All right. Uh, thanks everyone for staying with us through that argument, which was fun. Uh, thank you also for listening this episode. We really appreciate all the kind words that we've got and all the excitement and just all of you for continuing to, to hear Hear us talk about the show that we love so much as a reminder if you want to reach out to us talk with us we love chatting through with listeners any aspects of the show all of our social media handles are in our bio but also i just really hope y'all have a really good week and we're so excited to get into episode 10 next week and we'll map out we have some plan for some episodes after that that we'll go over in our in, in our episode next week but until then be safe find a better net to catch the fish.
0: Bye everybody.
1: Bye everyone.